Faith FM Breakfast Show with the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson. Welcome, everybody. You're listening on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. A special shout out to everybody listening in Ringaruma, Tasmania on 87.6. Bacchus Marsh in Victoria on 88.0 or Narakoot in South Australia on 87.6. Yeah, shout out Ringaruma. Yeah. Have you been to Ringaruma before? Of course. It's the, Yeah, Tasmania is like... Like a, a few steps from one side across the other. So. <laughs> Whatever. So says somebody who has never been to the promised land. I've been to Tasmania. Well, then you wouldn't say that because Tasmania is bigger than that. No, I've been there. I did it myself. I took three steps and all of a sudden I was in Antarctica. It was wild. Yeah. In your, in your <laughs> dreams. In your dreams. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, what are you thankful for this morning? I am so thankful. I'm actually thankful for one of my friends. Um, on, I'm thankful on his behalf because he is a guy that I study the Bible with, I spend time with. Uh, he's my friend. He is Chinese, and for the first time in four years, he's been reunited with his family from oh, China. Nice. They've come over here from China awesome. to Australia. They've got a visa that lasts about a year and a half. Oh, really? And, well, they're, they're gunning to make peace. They are here, yep. um, but they are just fantastic people. I got to meet them last night, and obviously, I know their son. I'm really good friends with their son, and now to meet the whole family as well. It's just so it's such a beautiful thing. Like it's That's so amazing. so amazing for him, but then it was just awesome for for me to be a part of it last night as well, and to to meet them and spend time with them, study the Bible with them. It was incredible. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And before we get into anything, any stories, any jokes, any banter, we're going to read a question for the quiz. Now, the answer to this one is actually very tough. <laughs> very tough. None of us in the studio knew the answer to this first question. And so if you get it correct, we know you cheated. Anyways, <laughs> what was the strong wind called that rose against Paul's ship? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. Let me read it again. What was the strong wind called that rose against Paul's ship? 0491-064-669. If you know the answer to that one, you will go into the draw to win the Days of Daniel board game. It's epic racing game. And by racing game, I mean you have your pieces, you roll your dice, you make your way around the board, you collect cards, experience Daniel's life, and then the prophetic amazing symbolic uh, visions that he had. But yes, if you would like this, again, you have to answer that question correctly and call the number. It was, what was the strong wind called that rose against Paul's ship? 0491-064-669. And you'll also get epic bragging rights. Yeah, oh yeah, if you get this question correct. And you'll get epic, epic bragging rights if you can spell it correctly. Yeah. This is without looking it up, mind you. I feel like it it's just one of those things that you have to know. Yes. You just have to. And if you know it, you know how to spell it. Like Maybe. Maybe. I feel I, I just I just feel it's just something you're just you just maybe. have to be legit. Yeah. I think I said some very much associated words and in different versions there are associated words that are close to this, but this is very specific. I'm I'm surprised. In fact, I, I don't I before this morning I didn't know what this word was. There you go. There you do. Mm. Cool. All right. If you're not able to find it by the end of the show, then we will give the answer and you can go and read the story, which would be absolutely fantastic. For sure. Good way to start your day.
All right, let's have some positively different news this morning. Okay, I have some positively different news. That just sounds like a plot out of some kind of spy movie, which is interesting to me. You know, you know, in spy movies, how it's always like people like stealing art, but then it turns out inside that art, there's like a bomb or something. Well, in this one, there's no bomb included, but it is about stealing art and antiquities. Essentially, the uh, the IAA, so the Israel's Antiquities Association, yes. has been on a 15-year hunt for a $1 million coin. I didn't know they have made a $1 million coin. Well, it's not a $1 million coin, but it's a silver coin that's worth $1 <laughs> million because it was minted in the year... 69. 69 okay. AD. Yes. So just before the fall oh, of Jerusalem. Oh, this would be one of the last coins ever minted. That's right. One of the How last. How are they able to date a coin back to that, to the year 69? How is it well, different I... from the year 68? Well, I guess they just looked at maybe minting records from Yeah, Jerusalem. I mean, there must have been some differences that came through because. That's right. You know, they didn't actually put dates. They hadn't invented Dates. Well, they hadn't invented AD dates anyway. Well, regardless, I think it's if it's in that time period, that's incredible because, again, it's the last of the coins. In fact, this coin is one of only four in existence. So this is a, 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 a Jewish coin. This yes. is not a this is not a Roman not a coin. Roman coin. It's a Jewish coin. A Jew- I would think I would think sixty nine AD Roman coins would be you know relatively speaking more common. That yeah, totally. It's at that time. It's the empire of the world. But no, this is. A, a Jewish, Jewish coin. coin, one of only four, worth a million dollars. I need to go buy a house in, in Jerusalem. So you can just loot stuff. Yeah, just so I can tear it down and dig underneath of it to find myself one of these coins and have a million dollars. Well, that's exactly what happened with this coin. So in 2002, uh, an informant had given some information to the IAA that a group of uh, Palestinians, which... I don't know. (laughs) They're just going to attribute it to Palestinians because they did something wrong. But a group of Palestinians looted some kind of hoard or cave or something in the Ella Valley, the Ela Valley. Oh, okay. In in Jerusalem, um, south of Jerusalem. Yes. And they've looted the, the, the valley and then sold it off. Now, they've gone on a goose chase from there. The coin went from... Palestine to illicit antiquities markets in Israel to Jordan to the UK and then to the US. And now that's where they got pinged in 2017. Uh, US Homeland Security, yes. they saw the coin coming in, being shipped in, and they you know, alerted the IAA. This was back in 2017 before setting up a sting operation to be able to so it was illegally bought in the United yeah, well, States. Well, it's illegally been hoarded. This is the point. Yes. Is that anything that's found in... This is kind of crushing your dreams, Lyle, of moving it to, is. to it Israel. Is. Anything I'm sad now. It, Whatever happened to finders keepers? That's right. Anything found in Israel is owned by the IAA. Right. Which is a bummer because it's like they have so much treasure there. Yes. But, but it does stop. It does stop treasure hunters, and you want archaeologists, not treasure hunters. Yeah, for sure. We want to know what's in the ground. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah, like there is from a historical perspective, it's fantastic to have 
a group like the IA. Also, Finders Keepers, it's kind of just stealing anyway. <laughs> it's kind of like... They should give you a reward when you find a $1 million coin. Yeah, right? okay. You should, you should get they, some reward yeah, for that's that. That's true. You should get compensated. I think so. Definitely. Well, all of these dollars. people along the way were compensated. You know, the Israelis, then to the Some people made in a lot Jordan, of money out of it. to the people in the UK, to the people in the US. Now, the people the, in the US would have lost a lot of money. That's right. right. They, yeah, they, they were the ones who got stitched up for a million bucks. Ouch. Because, Ooh. yeah, a, a sting operation was set up. They tracked the coin down. They raided this person's house, got the coin back. And now it is finally back in the hands of the IAA. I do like collectible things, mm-hmm. things that are rare, things that there's not many of. Mm. Yeah, that is pretty special. Now, I have another story here. That, that story is amazing. I, I'm just thinking, like, just things that are so old. But now, speaking of the bleeding edge, okay, the bleeding edge of technology. This is a story we were actually talking about a little bit this morning in the studio. Uh, some scientists from John Hopkins University in Maryland in the United States have come up with a system of tubes that go into your body that are one million times thinner than human hair. So they made a pipe. Yes. That's, but it's really tiny. But I don't... A million times. Is that... Can you even get a single blood cell through that? I I don't... Uh, well, what do you say, use it for? What they're saying you, you can. For? So this, the purpose of this is to get medication directly to off- affected organs. We've talked about different systems that have come up with this. We talked about, like, different tracking systems that they had put into medication that they had engineered to be able to get it to go to a certain organ or whatnot, but this is a mini series of pipes that, according to this article that I'm reading, is fully insulated from leaks. They don't have leaks. They don't have any issues with them. They self-attach, so they find each other within the body. You know, you inject it, and they find each other and create this pipe that you can then send things down that is a million times thinner than human Hair. So what do you send down something that is so thin? I mean, how do you even get medications that will go down a pipe that's that thin? You would think it would go between the cells of the body. Yeah, that's right. Look, the science is there, Lyle, apparently. Apparently the science is there. You know, you say it like that and I'm like, oh, maybe this is kind of fishy. Maybe they come up with something that they pull, they they are marketing as this, but not actually. You know, the science world is, is prone to people trying to make money. But according to this article I'm reading, it is fully feasible. My thought is if you have something so thin, how does it even stay together? Like like the the, the mass that it would need to actually just stick and, you know, be adhesive to the rest of its structure. Like, how doesn't the structure just get broken up if, say, it's injected into my right forearm in a flex, like that amount of force, how does that not just destroy something that's one million So what's it actually made out of? It's made out of kind of like steel or plastic? No, it's made out of cells. Like so, it's it's made out of yeah, cells. It's hard to even begin to imagine. I I, isn't I it? really I I read a, a whole article explaining how it works, and I'm still kind of lost to be honest, because but it's there it, and it's made is, and it works. This is just unimaginably small. It's one million times smaller than hair. It's two million times smaller than an ant. 
Mm. I, I just and and the article like those questions of how does it stick together without breaking, the article doesn't really answer that. But yeah, it creates basically a tube of cells that it sends other cells down that delivers medication to particular areas in the body. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Powerful. All of those. They they just they just threw them in a pot, stirred it up, and that's what came out. That was pretty good. I liked it. Mm. All right, let's have another question for our quiz. Let's see the next one could be a little bit easier than the last one. Okay, what is the third to last book of the Bible? So if you have the last book of the Bible and the second last book of the Bible just before it, what's the book before that? Okay. 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you'll go into the draw to win the Days of Daniel board game. We'll give it to you absolutely for free, provided you get into the draw, provided you answer these questions correctly upon calling or texting us. Again, it is, what is the third to last book of the Bible? 0491-064-669. Okay, so the World Council of Churches has got together and voted to keep the Russian Orthodox Church in its membership. Oh, interesting decision, particularly mm-hmm. since the Archbishop uh, Kirilli has been a very, very vocal supporter of the war in Ukraine and Vladimir Putin and has pretty much marshaled his priests to preach pro-war sermons right across the country. Mm. This was a tense week, a lot of uh, passionate exchanges. It was the 11th Assembly of the World Council of Churches in Karlsruhe in Germany. Don't know how you pronounce that, but yes, there. It exists. Um, uh, They approved a statement on Thursday regarding Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They said this illegal, they described it as an illegal and unjustifiable war and specifically rejected any misuse of religious language and authority to justify armed aggression and hatred and did nothing about the Russian Orthodox Church Mm. and the involvement of the Russian Orthodox Church and the involvement of the Archbishop, which is interesting. Neither did they do anything about the involvement of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, Mm. because both of these churches have been active, very active politically in this debate. And, of course, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church uh, does not have communion with the Eastern Orthodox Church. It is in full communion with the church in Rome, the Western uh, uh, Catholic Church. Mm. And so it's an interesting situation here to see how they have reacted to the two different churches that have both been equally involved in politics. Now, just because we side with one side of politics or the other, shouldn't we actually be addressing the issue of the union of church and state here? Isn't that really the big issue that's at Mm. stake? And if it is bad for the Russian Orthodox Church to be preaching war, shouldn't it be bad for the Ukrainian Orthodox Church to be preaching war? But no, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church was recommended for full membership. But what's interesting is kind of the powerlessness of the World Council of Churches, I mean, really, yeah. they don't like what's happening. None of us like what's happening in Ukraine. Let's be very, very clear about that. Uh, but none of us like the involvement that the Russian Orthodox Church is playing in the war in Ukraine. So how is it so hard to boot them out? My question is, is if they get booted from the World Organization of Churches... World Council. The World Council... 
what happens to them? Nothing. Like, like what's the point? Nothing. Sure. Okay. Sweet. This has become a toothless tiger. The World Council of Churches has become a toothless tiger. It's a way of joining an organization and thereby proclaiming that you are a cool ecumenical Christian. Yeah, that's so lame. It's about all it does. And it's you know a little bit like the EU. The EU was unable to uh, speak against Archbishop Kirilli or the Russian Orthodox Church either because, well... You know, Victor Oban from Hungary, he stands up and defends it and then it's just kind of all over. Mm. Whereas the UK, post-Brexit, they're able to stand up and say, no, the Russian Orthodox Church shouldn't be involved in this. They shouldn't be doing that. They should butt out of politics and do their own thing. Yeah, they actually take a stand. They're able to take a stand because they're not a part of the EU. Mm. Interesting. Interesting times in which we live indeed. Okay, wondering which generation prays the most? Uh, this is uh, research coming out of the UK where they surveyed 2,073 adults. Now, this is the situation that we find in our world. We find religion, particularly in secular countries like the UK, on a massive decline. Mm. We look at that as Christians and we lament the fact that more and more people are turning away from God mm. rather than towards God and they're turning away from religion rather than towards religion, and we think, well, the world is becoming an increasingly secular place. Mm. Except it's not. Hmm. More young people pray than older people. The younger generation are praying a lot more than the older generation. Uh, which which young why, by younger do you mean like are you trying to call yourself young Lyle? Are you saying Generation X or what, what are we talking about here? Okay, so fifty six percent of eighteen to thirty four year olds okay. have prayed, whereas in the over fifty five year olds only forty one percent have prayed. Fourteen mm. percent of eighteen to thirty four year olds pray every day. Mm. Uh, what's interesting is that only sixty six percent of Christians have ever prayed. What? Well, a lot of people out there who call themselves Christians, you ask them, you ask them, you know, what are you? Oh, I'm Christian, but they've never darkened sure. the door of a church except for a wedding or a funeral. Sure. And they've actually never prayed. Mm. Uh, 19% of Christians pray every day. Mm. It's not hard to pray every day. If you're struggling to pray every day, join us here on Faith FM and we will encourage you to pray every day at, mm. you know, at the end of the show um, and give you a reminder. Uh, so this is interesting stats, and so what it tells us is this: the world is not becoming less. The world might be becoming less religious, and less church attached, but it's not becoming less spiritual. It's actually becoming more spiritual, mm. and younger generations are seeing more value in the supernatural than older generations, mm. which tells us that. The world is ripe to hear more about Jesus Christ. I mean, oh, for sure. you know, these are just stats about prayer. Who knows, you know, what form those prayers are, who they're praying to. Some of these prayers would be Buddhist prayers. Some of these prayers would be Islamic prayers. You know, it's just about praying. Mm-hmm. And But what it does is it reflects a generation that is actually way more spiritual than what we give mm-hmm. them credit for. Yeah, I think, well, myself being a part of that generation, the very vocal atheist, crowd that was doing the rounds in the 2010s and really gaining traction and momentum, they've just become, in the eyes of 
The Dawkins fans. Like, yeah, yeah, that's right. In the eyes of all young people, they've just become cringe. Yes. They're just, like, no one would want to be associated or identify with them. With Dawkins. Like, yeah, we're just like... Yeah, we get it. You're atheist. Like that's that's the the meme now. It's like, oh, we get it. You're atheist. Like, you know, because they always come off like, well, people in this crowd tend to tr- and actively try to come off as like know it alls who are like super smart and why would you be a part of religion? So so now they're cringe. Uh, so coming through and particularly when you have like a, a a large group of famous individuals who identify as spiritual people. Spirituality is seen as something that is relatively freeing. It's something that is a little bit countercultural now mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. before it was like you had to be cool to be cool. You had to deny the existence of God. Now it's like countercultural and therefore cool to be open to spirituality. I I would say it's it's pretty reasonable that more people in the younger generation are are praying. But I think from what I observe, particularly working at the university, is uh, despite a feigning interest in the things in things that are spiritual, you know, it, it's, as it says there, 66% of people who identify as Christian, only 66% have ever prayed. So it, it can run a little bit skin deep or less for most people. And that's the challenge that you're then trying to to battle as a Christian, it's like, oh, okay, this person's open to talk about spiritual things, but actually they don't really care. Like, yes. they're, they're just not hostile against it. Like, you know, maybe people back in 2014, 2015. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting situation. It does mean that you get your foot in the door a little bit easier, but at the end of the day, who who is open to hearing about the gospel? People whose hearts have been worked on by Jesus and they, you know, in response, are, are seeking and are thirsty. Absolutely. And that's that's what we're looking for. And it doesn't matter which crowd they're in, in the atheist crowd and older people, younger people, we're looking for people who are thirsty and open and willing to follow Jesus. And this is, this is a really good presentation that you made there um, on that subject from first-hand accounts mm. uh, of young people, of that, of you know, obviously Lawson working in a university context. The guy knows what he's talking about, <laughs> so listen to what he has to say. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It is The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We're going to have another clue for our quiz, and then we're going to interview of the day. Yes, another clue for the quiz. Complete the verse, and God shall wipe away blank. If, so hard not to say it right there. <laughs> if you know the rest of the words in that verse, 0491 is the number to call or text. Again, our prize this week is the Days of Daniel board game. We'll give it to you absolutely and completely for free. Provided okay. that you win the draw, provided that you get the answer correct. Again, that question was, complete the verse and God shall wipe away blank. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. All right, let's go to our interview of the day. And joining us on the phone this morning is Scott Devlin from Creation Ministries International. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lyle. Good to be here again. Now, Scott, I've, I understand we're talking about a, a subject that actually really interests me this morning, and that is antagonistic witnesses. What is an antagonistic witness, and why are they a good thing for the cause of? Well, defending the biblical story of creation. Yeah, good question to start with. So, because it's like kind of two big words in a way. So, antagonistic witness. So, witness, what I mean by witness is someone that's witnessing to um, 
our side of the story, basically. So in the creation evolution debate, um, so witness that's witnessing to the Bible being real history. Um, and of course, it claims to be real history. Um, so, so that's the witness part. And then antagonistic means, okay, someone who's not a believer, basically. So a, a non-believer that's witnessing to um, uh, to Genesis being history. And there's one particular quote that I wanted to um bring to you and I'm not sure if you've heard it before but but, but what I find is this that if um, uh, so the theory of evolution came came in about 150 years ago and almost uh, as soon as the book of the origin of species came out which Darwin wrote what happened was the Church of England and um, a lot of other churches in Europe that were in the Renaissance period started accepting uh, long ages and they started accepting uh, evolution and they would figure out different ways to put that into Genesis. And so there's the gap theory, there's the day age theory, and you might have heard about some of them. Um, but the, so the interesting thing is what what's happened is, and, and it's still happening today, is uh, people, Bible scholars that are maybe in higher positions, there's a lot of um, pressure, academic pressure uh, from their peers, either their peers in science and their to conform and you can't really say, hey, you know, the Earth's only about 6,000 years old and evolution hasn't happened because they, they get uh, a lot of persecution for it. So, or they just want to conform because they want to um, go up the ranks and they and, and a lot of their other peers are saying it's okay to accept this day-age theory or these gap theories. Um, so they would say they might be a Hebrew expert um, or they might be an Old Testament scholar and they say, oh, look, you know, the Earth's been around millions and billions of years, and that's very intimidating for a Christian who is not a Hebrew expert. Um, and a lot of times, they're the questions we um, I get I get asked. So uh, I'm a scientist; I've got a science background, and so they say, "Well, how do you know the look at the Hebrew of Genesis?" And of course, I, I know a few things about it, and I've learned a few things, and it's and it seems very obvious that um, it's history. Genesis one to three. In fact, in Genesis one, there is one verse of poetry, uh, but that's it. And that one verse of poetry is to emphasize that um, Adam and Eve are the pinnacle of God's creation. Yes. Um, and you found that he says he made them male and female. Um, he made them. So I'm quoting it slightly wrong, but um, anyway, this one quote that I want to read to you is uh, James Barr. Uh, and he was a oral professor of the interpretation of the Holy Scripture at Oxford University. So he was a Hebrew scholar and probably a, a very eminent Hebrew scholar. And it, he says this. So he says, probably so far as I know, there is no professor of Hebrew or Old Testament at any world-class university who does not believe that the writers of Genesis 1 to 11 intended to convey to their readers the ideas that, A, the creation took place in a series of six days, which were the same as the days of 24 hours we now experience. B, the figures contained in the Genesis genealogies provided by simple addition a chronology from the beginning of the world up into the later stages in the biblical story. And C, Noah's flood was understood to be worldwide and extinguish all human and animal life except those on the ark. So it's very plain, he's saying, the very plain reading of Genesis, mm. there's no one at any um, world-class university, no Hebrew scholar that would argue against those things. And so what we find is the people who are arguing against those things, because you understand for him, it doesn't matter if those if that's true or not. 
Sure. He's, he's not a believer. Yeah. But then people who are believers, but are also trying to compromise, and those Old Testament scholars, um, they... Um, he and notice he says any world class university. Now this quote is 1984, so maybe there's some believers that have gone into high positions. But but the point is, if you're a believer and you're trying to compromise on the history of Genesis, um, then you're you're doing it uh, yes because you want the Bible still still to be true. Um, but the very plain reading of it, um, as read by people who don't have any biases, says um, it it can be read plainly. It can be read as a history. Yeah, and that's that adds a lot of weight to okay. If if that's what the experts are saying, that it can you know be read plainly, it can be read as history. Then, all right, what are you going to do with that? You now have the option of, of okay, let's do away with the scripture altogether, or let's relook at this and let's see maybe we got the science wrong. And is there an alternative uh, model, scientific model that will actually fit with the creation account? Yeah, exactly, because because that's the fear on the other side within the Christian camp. So, so you know, some people believe in theistic evolution, or they believe in long ages. So they believe in billions of years, and they try and uh, uh, they're trying to still be a Christian like that. And I'm not saying that's not possible. You know, obviously, you can believe in Jesus, and that's that's the root of your salvation. But it's not a good track to go down because logically, and I'm sure you might have explored this, or I can't remember if we've explored this on the radio before. Logically, you end up having a problem with the gospel. Um, not only the Bible being inerrant, if you start to take that position. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're not saying you can't be a Christian if you're believing in evolution, but you have a um, your, your the history or you, the Bible. The history of the Bible is illogical in yes. that framework. It's going to make um, your head hurt. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, so you're right. So that what happens is you think, oh, okay, shoot. Well, this can't be true because science tells us that the Earth is billions of years old, and science tells us that evolution has happened. Therefore, oh, the Bible must not be true. We can't be a Christian. But so that's why it's important for Christians to understand the philosophical underpinnings of historical science. And if we can understand that, um, then that can really free us to understand that we have a different underlying philosophy. Philosophy. We believe in a supernatural creator God. We don't believe that material made things, so that's a materialistic worldview. Therefore, when we look at historical science, our interpretations are very different, and that is very, very valid. Um, and so that's what we spend, you know, while we... Um, us as a ministry, creation ministries, we go to churches um, almost every week, many churches around Australia, and we're uh, talking in churches about that. And so we talk about historical science and how that compares to experimental science. Yes. And we, sometimes we talk about the history of it, how it came to be about, because it's only 200 years ago that the Western world, um, well, I've got a, I show a slide in some of my presentations and it's from the Encyclopedia Britannica and it's got a picture of Noah's Ark, full-size Ark, and the caption says, Noah's Ark floating on the waters of the deluge. So before the 18th century, uh, before the idea of long ages came about, even the history of the Bible, the 6,000-year-old earth, was included in the Encyclopedia Britannica. So the Western world, the thinkers in the world, they, they believe the Bible is history. Um, so it's very interesting to learn about that. Actually, we're in, a, we're in a different world today where people have a different idea of history, but the, that idea of history is underpinned by a philosophical framework, i.e. materialism, which is not doesn't include a supernatural creation, i.e. it's an atheistic worldview that underpins the idea of historical science today. 
So if I could go back to something that you said at the beginning of this interview, which I think we thought was really interesting and really, it really grabbed my attention. You, you talked about how Darwin brought out Origin of the Species and it was quickly accepted by the Anglican Church and a whole bunch of uh, other churches around the world. One would have expected that the churches would have been the area in which he received the greatest opposition. This was a new science to the people at this particular time. I know it's it's a science that goes back, you know, through Greek and Egyptian eras and so forth, goes back a very, very long way. But yep. for the world at this particular time, this was a very new science. Why yep. did why did they rush so quickly to accept a science that was new, that was novel, that was relatively untested at that time, and was created so many problems for them? As far as scripture goes, yeah it's, yeah, it's a really good question, and I should be clear: it wasn't all of the church that accepted it. Um, no, of course, you, it had, was quite you, had, a few. you had a lot, of, a lot of a lot of people um, arguing against it, and, and probably within, um, for example, it's the Thomas uh, Huxley and the Wilberforce debate. So I think it was uh, William Wilberforce's. Um, son or, or grandson, I can't remember now. So the guy who um, ended ended trade slavery, and of course, um, or, or head at the end of trade trade slavery in England, uh, and of course he was very aware that. Um, so his son was very aware that. Uh, the theory of evolution said, well, um, I mean, Darwin specifically said in one of his later books, um, The Descent of Man, he said that uh, Caucasians are a higher race than Negroes. So it, it's obviously got racist connotations. And so William Wilford's son um, or grandson, I can't remember which, uh, they stood very firmly and said, look, this cannot be true. And there was a famous debate in Oxford University between Huxley and Wilberforce. And Huxley was known as Darwin's bulldog. So it's Thomas Huxley. And so he was someone that came after Darwin, but he really tried to push the theory of evolution. And Wilberforce famously debated him and said, look, this cannot be true. And, and, and he was known as someone representing the church. That was obvious in some places the church was standing up, but, um, it was kind of a subversive thing that's still going on today. So there was a guy called James Hutton and he was the guy that looked at the rocks and said, there must be millions of years old and started theorizing about that. And he um, influenced a guy called Charles Lyell, who was originally a lawyer and he was, um, and then he wrote a book, which was called the principles of geology, which was the book that Darwin took on the beagle, which was the voyage he took around the world when he came up with the idea of evolution. And it was that man, Charles Lyell, who said in a personal letter, he said, um, my desire or his aim was to free geology from Moses. So as I was saying before, the contention was in the, um, before the 18th century that um, Genesis was real and it was real history and therefore the flood of Noah was real. And so Moses was the one that wrote the first five books of the Bible. So this man's name, Charles Lyell, was to free geology from Moses. He said that in a personal letter. Yeah, it seems very, it seems very unscientific to have such a clearly stated agenda to add to your science. That is an ideological agenda, very clearly an ideological agenda. You would think a scientist would study the science and let the science speak for itself. 
Yes, yes, of, of course. And I mean, uh, you look at the people that are most pushing evolution in the public eye today, they're also a part of a humanist society. They're also a very prominent atheist. You just have to think of Richard Dawkins as the most famous one. You know, obviously, he's a biologist originally from Oxford University, but probably for the past number of decades, three decades, um, he's mainly been talking uh, about atheism and how that relates to evolution. Um, but th- th- this man, uh, Charles Lyell, um, he also said that uh, probably one of the best ways to get uh, church members to accept this theory would not to be cause um, to cause a problem, but to try and fit it in with their existing framework. So the idea that the church would be a big barrier to evolution was already uh, thought about by those propagating it in the 19th century. And they thought, we've got to try and get this in without causing a fuss. So they were even some, they tried to be very kind and present it in a nice way to uh, the clergymen of the church at that time. And so really that's how it got infiltrated. And that's still happening today. Um, Some atheistic organizations that present as scientific organizations, i.e. the National Science, uh, National Center for Science Education, NCSE, Organizations like that are sponsoring theological colleges, even in our country, uh, especially in America, and they sponsor those colleges. And then they say, look, your pastors, they're going to need to know a little bit about science. So why don't we send one of our scientists in and come and teach them a bit about science? Um, And of course, then they end up with these ideas that theistic evolution is true. Mm. Scott Delvin, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. Fascinating information, and particularly uh, that perspective on history was very, very interesting. Uh, Before you go, I'm wondering, can you just very quickly uh, tell us how do we interact with uh, Creation Ministries International and the magazine and so forth? Yeah, thanks, Lyle. So the easiest way is creation.com. So if you want to find out more about anything we've been talking about, just put in the search bar. So Thomas Huxley or Charles Lyell, something like that, the history of evolution, and, and you can look at it there. Ah, fantastic. Thank you so much, Scott. We really appreciate what you've been able to share with us. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.